1: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: Good morning and welcome to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. I'm Kendra Petroni and today we are checking in with Sue Tab. For those of you that don't know, last January, Sue went in for a routine mammogram, doctors discovered an area of concern, and lo and behold, it was breast cancer. Having already gone through a breast cancer diagnosis 16 years ago, Sue tackled this journey of discovery, determination, and strength with incredible posture. She underwent major surgery, and in honor of October being Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we wanted to check back in with her, see how she is doing, and what others can do to self-care. Hi, Sue. Hi, Kendra.
3: (laughs) How are you? (laughs) It's very strange always to be on the other side of the table, but uh, I'm happy to do it because um, October being Breast Cancer Awareness Month, it is a difficult month, I think, for those of us who are either in treatment or who are survivors, because it's sort of a constant reminder of a very difficult time in our life. Mm -hmm. But it's also very important because the whole purpose of having Breast Cancer Awareness Month is to remind people um, how important it is to get regular screenings, and had I not been getting regular screenings, I may have had a very
2: different prognosis. So walk us through last January, if you can. That yeah. moment you went in for the the appointment, and then what happened after?
3: Yeah, and Kendra, you know, because we're colleagues and we're friends, and you were sort of along with me on this. You knew that, um, you know, I, I had gone in, and that they were concerned. The radiologist called me in after my. Mammogram Mm -hmm. and said, You know, you need to get a biopsy because there's this area of concern. And I pretty much knew because. Yeah, what went through your mind right then and there? Even just with that. Yeah, you pretty much know. And I've been through this so many times. I've been screened so many times. And instead of every year, I was going every six months because of my history. And so you kind of know how it works. You know, if you're clear, the technician comes out and says, you're all set. We'll see yeah. you in six months or a year. If they say, hold on, the radiologist wants to talk to you, not as good news. It doesn't necessarily mean you have cancer. And in many and in many circumstances, you don't because they're very careful these days. Right. It could just and be it, them double checking, making right. sure. Right. Sometimes it's dense breast tissue. Sometimes it's just something different that doesn't match your baseline. So don't get me wrong. It doesn't always mean that. But because of my history, I obviously was mm-hmm. very, very concerned and nervous and she was like, we really need to do a biopsy. So then they did a, um, a biopsy, uh, I guess, about a week later. And then a couple days after that, I got the call um, from one of the nurses. And she said it is, in fact, breast cancer. And when you hear that,
2: mm-hmm.
3: it's really hard to process um, I had almost wished that somebody else was on the phone with me because I don't remember much of the conversation after that. Right, it's kind of a blur. Yeah, because there's your heart starts beating fast and your emotions start going, and of course you go to the worst place. Mm-hmm. And I did say to her, you know, how bad is it? And she says it's only stage one, and not that that's a good thing, but in a, it's the best of the situation, a bad right. situation. <laughs> yeah, and so stage one was good. Um, they told me, you know. M- that they, I could beat this, it, you know, but because I had radiation 16 years ago, I had uh, excisional biopsy 16 years ago, and I had a radiation on the left breast, and that's where this was, they can't radiate twice.
2: Right. So what does that mean?
3: So that means that really my only course of treatment was a mastectomy. So that was okay, but then the big decision is do you want to just do the left? Do you want to do both? You know, what do you want to do? And for me, I went bilateral and decided to do them both. It's, it's a very personal decision. Um, everybody is, has different prognosis and different factors that weigh into making that decision. So for me, that was the right decision. It's not the right decision for everybody. Um, and you never know what's going into somebody's decision when right. they when they do that. But I um, I knew that I I that's what I needed to do. So, and I'm also the type of person, as you know, that once I decided that this was going to be my
2: course of action,
3: get I needed done. to
2: get it done. Get it done quickly and and move past it and just do whatever you can to get on the other side. Yeah.
3: Because I would be for the same me, way. quite frankly, the anticipation of the surgery was worse because I just didn't know what to expect. And everybody's like, oh, when is the surgery? And it was just sort of this this horrible black cloud looming over you. And um, I just was like, I, so on January 21st, I got diagnosed. And on February
2: 16th, I had the surgery. And that's, I think that's a quick turnaround. I, yeah. I was trying to piece together the timeline from when you were diagnosed when you told us and then from all the things that happened afterwards it was such a fast time frame i mean i think you were back on the air after your surgery i don't know april or something i mean i to me yeah it was i only was off the quick. air for maybe
3: 5 weeks i mean one of the one of the silver linings of the pandemic was that i had a studio set up in my basement cuz we had all been separated because be the pandemic right. So what was great is that once I was sort of mentally ready to be on the air again after a few weeks, I could because I was set up from home and I could recover for another month or so at home being on the air. So that worked out really, really well for me. But it's funny because I remember asking, what is the recovery? What is the recovery for this? How long? How long? And everybody tells you six weeks. It's just like this thing. Six weeks, six weeks, six. But that's all they say.
2: It's not six weeks. It's, I would think it would be maybe forever. I mean, not forever, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, you're constantly dealing with everything. Yeah,
3: because you know, recovery is a funny word, right? Like, yes, the surgical recovery is about six weeks, meaning, you know, that's when all the restrictions are lifted. You can lift heavy things again. You know, your drains are out. You can go back to work. You can resume normal activity after six weeks. But it's not a six-week recovery because if you have the surgery I had, which I did everything at once, including the implant reconstruction, it was one eight-hour surgery. Um, you know, I had four drains, and and it's it's a pretty major surgery. But you're you know you feel tight for a really long time. You have to do a lot of exercises. You have to get you know special bras. You have to. And then there's the mental piece.
2: I was going to ask, what's what does what's the mental toll that it takes? We all think of the physical toll. We all think of the outward appearance and how it affects you that way. But what does it do internally to you?
3: It's hard because the mental piece of it is um, it's different for everyone. I think it sort of depends on what your journey is. So I'm not going to say that what I am going through or have gone through is going to be the same for every woman. It's not. But in my case, you know, I had a huge support network. I had a ton of people that came forward when I was going through my treatment. And that's really, 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 really important. Um, But the mental piece stays with you. I mean, just to give you an example, like now when you go anywhere, I just went for a, you go for a massage, you go for Mm -hmm. to the dermatologist to get your moles checked, like anything like that, they say. Has there been a change in your oh. in your health history? The medical your, history medical question, history. yeah. And so literally one of the times I didn't even think about it and I was like, nope, nope. And then they looked at my record and they're like, um, did you have surgery this past February? <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, but I don't always lead with that. I don't always want to lead with that. And I get that they need to know that, but it makes you have to sort of relive it so many times. And you don't you-
2: want it to be... Defining you as part, a big part of of your medical background and history and who you are, you want to just have it be something that happened to you, something that you kind of got through, right, and and move on. I would think,
3: yeah, and yet it doesn't. I mean, there is a piece of it, you know. Does it wholly define you? No, none of us want it to. But is it a piece of your history? Yes, yeah. and that's the thing that's really hard because you have to accept it as it is a piece now of when you look back of your history and it does in some ways, you know, um, not dictate your future, but you have to be more, you know, careful. You You, you, you think about if you have kids and do you have the gene and all of this. So all of that plays into it as well. So it's, it's a complicated thing (laughs) emotionally.
2: What was the biggest small thing that you were worried about? When you were going through it between diagnosis and then surgery and then immediately after. <sighs> the biggest small thing. Um,
3: I don't know about small thing. I know the biggest thing I was worried about when I was going through treatment was whether or not I was going to have to have chemo. Um, and I didn't want to have chemo only because, you know, it, 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 chemo has a lot of side effects. Right. And I was scared to death of that. Which and I, I think was, a
2: lot of people are. That's immediately what yeah, they think of. It's they immediately. Don't, they don't want to be tired. And it's they not only losing sick. the
3: hair. And losing the hair is huge because that's the most visual one. But, right. you know, you're tired and it does a lot to your body. Right. Um, and I was petrified of that. And I was very fortunate. But you don't find out, which I didn't know either, until after your surgery when they analyze all the breast tissue whether or not you're a candidate for chemo based on the anatomy of what they took out of your body. So I was fortunate that I did not have to have chemo or radiation. Um, and I was, but I was scared to death of that because, you know, then the recovery is that much longer. Right. It's that much more visual to people because they can see what's going on, what's going yeah. on physically. Um, so, so that worried me. And I also was worried for my, my girls cause I have two
2: daughters. Right. So and it affects, it affects everybody. I mean, it does affect everybody in your family. It's not just you. It happens to It's everyone.
3: a everyone. Fam- oh, it's a family diagnosis. I say it all the time. It affected my husband profoundly. Um, my girls profoundly, they, they weren't living with us at the time, but they came back. Um, and they, you know, were with me through a lot of my, my treatment. But the thing that sometimes people forget is I went through my surgery during COVID. So, none of my family could be in the hospital with me. So, that was the hardest part for me because Tom had to, I was at Salem Hospital. I was treated by um, Mass General North Shore Cancer Center, and they did the surgery at Salem Hospital. And on the day of my surgery, um, because this was back in February when there was that big uptick after the holidays everything was strict and I mean, everything you couldn't was go really anywhere strict. with people
2: really yeah. yeah he couldn't even walk me into the hospital he that's had... so terrifying to me yeah and it's it's like what you mentioned before and i think about it with my kids like when they were babies and they were newborns one of us was mentally exhausted and not paying attention not listening so i always needed the other person to be in the room with me yeah. to get all of the information to give to me when we got home yeah. when you know my brain caught up to what was happening so yeah. i can't imagine Not having that backup.
3: Yeah, I think it was one of the hardest days of Tom's life. I'm sure. Probably even harder than it was for me because he had to drop me off at the curb and I had to get out of the car and walk into the hospital and he had to drive away. That's terrifying. It was terrifying for him. And he's the type of guy, like, I mean, he never left my side when I had my babies and, you know, he's just very hands-on. So for him, he just couldn't get over and even when he picked me up they had to wheel me back out to the car he couldn't get out of the car
2: so it was just sort of I had to wake up alone in the recovery room it's all of those little things that yeah you don't think about so having the added stress of COVID and the pandemic on top of what you were going through with just a, a breast cancer diagnosis treatment surgery everything that's like a double whammy of what what's happening I know you know but
3: I'll say this, the good thing about um, going through it in today, in 2021 is I had no idea how many advances there have been, how much better they are at detecting breast cancer, how much better they are at treating breast cancer, how much better they are at um, targeting, doing more like targeted therapies that really focus on just where your cancer is. So I was pleasantly surprised and i mean my team of surgeons all women which mm-hmm. is exceptional women i mean they were believe me the best of the ex- best. oh yeah and my my surgeon breast surgeon was probably 42 years old but harvard you know harvard educated and um just an amazing bedside manner which oh my god most important thing ever. Like, it's important that they have good credentials and you want them to be really good at their job because they're operating on you. But she was also the type of person that was, like, not at all pretentious, not yeah. at all condescending. She was,
2: like, you and I talking right now. We and need that genuine, you need that human love and kindness and support in a, yes. in a personality as, as well to comfort you.
3: Well, I remember you know? laying on the gurney before they wheeled me into the operating room and she put her hand on my, my leg And she just kind of goes, you ready? You ready to do this? We got you. You know, everything's okay. Like, she just gave me a few words of encouragement, but she was, like, talking to me like a human being, not just, like, a patient laying there. Like, I'm sure she knew that my mind was racing and I was scared to death. And she was trying to kind of say, like, we got you. This is okay.
2: If you're just waking up and tuning in, you're listening to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. And I've been talking with my colleague, my best friend, and one of my role models, Sue Tab, about her ongoing journey with breast cancer. It's been nearly nine months since Sue was diagnosed, then underwent breast cancer surgery, then was back on the air within a three-month period. And since October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we're sharing Sue's story so that anyone else going through a diagnosis, treatment, or recovery will perhaps be inspired and encouraged courage to keep fighting let's get back to our conversation so what are the doctors telling you now do you have to go through routine checkups now what's the follow-up care
3: yeah the follow-up care is really just um, I don't ever have to have another mammogram which is nice oh wow yeah cuz now I I have implants and so there is no breast tissue so that is a little silver lining (laughs) but again by the way mammograms are not terrible Um, And you need to get them because had I not had a digital mammogram, as I said, my prognosis would have been much, much worse. My treatment would have been much more, you know, in depth. And so, you know, mammograms are not terrible. However, I don't have to have any anymore (laughs) because I have implants. (laughs) So that's good. Um, but yeah, you still go back, you see your plastic surgeon every few months, you know, you have follow-ups with your breast surgeon and with your plastic surgeon to make sure that there are no changes in the scar area, in the breast, mm-hmm. you know, um, th- the, way the breasts and the implants are. I mean, they're amazing. I just can't believe what they can do because cosmetically, I really was afraid that I, about what I was going to look like. And right. I will tell you, I woke up in the recovery room not even bandaged up at all i had what looked like a sports bra on that's oh, how advanced they are now there was only sort of clear tape under the incisions underneath each breast wow. but you just had like a sports bra on and you were just and i was so afraid i didn't open the the sports bra for i think three or four days you want to look didn't want i see. didn't want to look yeah
2: I, I i imagine i would be the same way too it's it's scary I it's mean,
3: scary but it's i'll tell change. you you know, cosmetically, you would barely know looking at me. I couldn't believe what they're able to do. It is amazing. And then I think to myself, you know, what they'll be able to do five years from now and 10 years from now and 20 years from now. The other thing is that they're very good now. Um, I had a genetic counselor. They assign you a genetic counselor. Oh. And I had already had the BRCA gene test, so I knew I was negative for that, which is a huge indicator yeah. of of. Uh, the possibility of developing breast cancer. But there are like eight other genes now that are identifiers wow. of so whether or not more you're yeah. predisposed, which I had no idea. And it took a couple of weeks. They do this in depth and, and then they come back and they say, you know, it, they tell you whether you have any gene mutations that would be indicative of breast cancer. I did not have any. My BRCA was negative in all eight of my genes. There were no gene mutations. So what does that say? Well, it says that I wasn't necessarily genetically predisposed to get cancer. Yeah. It could have been environmental. It could have been who knows what. No, you know, Nobody really knows for sure. But it made me feel better about my daughters being in their early 20s, that they're not necessarily genetically predisposed. Um, but they'll be watched so carefully because of my history. Which is good. Because they always ask what your history is, and because they have a mother now who's had breast cancer, they'll be watched really carefully, which is a good thing, um, and look at what, what they'll have for treatment, like I said, in 10, 15, 20 years.
2: We have to talk about Gracie the dog, because I think when we talk about silver linings and things, positive things that come into our lives and situations that are maybe not so positive, you got Gracie... Last October. October. Yeah. And it was just, just a few short months before all this happened. Talk about what an amazing silver lining she was to have in the house. I mean, it's not easy to have a puppy and going through what you went through, but I mean, what oh, a no, bright it light was a to godsend. have. Um, so
3: we got her in October. My husband lost his job in November and I got diagnosed with cancer in January. I
2: remember. So That's when amazing. we
3: got her, we had no way of knowing what was ahead for us. That would be the most difficult year of our, for our family that we've ever experienced. Not, not only the pandemic, but everything else. Um, and my husband had fought it tooth and nail for 23 years. I tried to get a dog and he was like, we are not getting a dog. And then for some reason he gave in and he's like, fine, we can get a dog. And oh my God, of course now he loves her more than anybody, but, um, she has been, a constant companion. I, I I definitely needed her more than she needed us. Like we needed her more than she needed us. She was a companion to my husband when he was working from home and consulting and looking for a job. She was a companion to me from the second I got home
2: from the hospital. She knew, and you know how dogs know. Oh, they can sense everything. I mean, they can sense your emotions, anything you're going through mentally and physically. I swear they know. They They know. know before you even do. They, she knew not to jump on my chest and she's a Puppy, she does a lot
3: of jumping, she's like a circus animal. She's a little hyper, she's a little crazy, but she knew not to jump on my chest, she knew to be gentle around me. She would jump on everyone else, and then she'd be gentle around me. Um, and you know, you you sleep a lot when you first come home, um, you're sleeping off the anesthesia, and and you're just tired from the trauma that your body's been through. And she would just curl up next to me, um, and be there. And it's that unconditional love, and just knowing that she was always going to be right by my side. I can't even tell you what she's done for our family. and um, and even my husband would, I think agree to that right now. I think so, even though she's eaten half of our house and <laughs> and audio cushions shoes and, and the furniture rugs but... and shoes and glasses. but no, it's been worth every every second. you you don't know. You don't know what life has in store for you. It's
2: incredible, isn't yeah. it
3: yeah? like things just happen and your life turns on a dime,
2: you know, we talk a lot on our morning show about, you know, organizations like the LE Fund, who they basically ease the stress of families that are dealing with a breast cancer diagnosis by doing simple things like offering to drive patients to and from their appointments, also offering child care, cleaning services, dog walking, taking care of the little things going on around your life while you're dealing with this big major thing. And I know that you talked a lot about the kindness and generosity of friends and families, people in your neighborhood and how that helped you Get through little things and not have to worry about the little sort of minutiae of life when you had to really focus on what was, you know, what was really important. Can you just talk a little bit about how the work that, like the Ellie Fund, does sort of paralleled what you experienced with the generosity of others and how much that meant to you? Oh yeah,
3: and now I've got we've gotten to know some of the folks at the Ellie Fund, and I can't tell you how much it resonates with me because you know what I like about the Ellie Fund is it's not. Um, you don't have to be in financial need. Um, you just have to be going through cancer, uh, either cancer treatment or a diagnosis or whatever. So, um, and cancer doesn't discriminate. So they aren't, aren't necessarily, uh, concerned about the financial need. They're just concerned about the support that they can provide. And you do need support. I don't care who you are. You need support. You need, uh, physical support, emotional support, um, uh, we had people bringing us meals, I think, for about three weeks, maybe four weeks. Um, one of my neighbors had put together a whole calendar, and uh-huh. we would know in advance what was coming, who was bringing it, what time it was going to be dropped off. It's a little humbling, because you feel like, well, you don't need to bring me a meal, but let me tell you, my family loved I'm it, because sure I'm a did. terrible cook, and it does <laughs> they were like, help. what's coming today? Um, We had people that were walking the dog. We had people that were doing errands. We had people dropping off all kinds of stuff. I mean, the bouquets of flowers I got, every single thing. And I always say to people, I don't remember who sent what. You just remember the outpouring of support. And so when people say to me, I don't know what to say to somebody. Like, I just found out that they're going through cancer treatment. I'm like, it doesn't matter what you say. They won't remember. I don't remember. I had neighbors show up with like... A beautiful orchid standing at my door. I don't remember what she said to me. I remember that she showed up, right? Um, and you know that's what matters. And you realize, wow, you know people care and they want to do something and they want to help. And everybody does it their own way. Some people just send a card. Some people will call. Doesn't matter. You know it all. It all helps. And it was that was. And I remember saying, oh, my God, I can't believe how many people are doing all of these kind things, you know. And my daughter, Emma, said, but mom, you do those kinds of things Things for for other people. And I said, oh, I I didn't even think about that. She goes, mom, remember, you just dropped off a family in town had COVID. Their whole family had it. This was maybe a month before my diagnosis. She goes, don't you remember you, you dropped off that giant COVID basket to the family across town and you had all these things in there? And I'm like. Oh yeah. <laughs> but when it's for you, you're just like, I don't deserve this. But like you why do. are people doing right. this? But it means a lot and, and it's necessary because you really
2: aren't up for doing the day to day stuff. Right. And you forget about those little things. They're just a part of your everyday routine. Yeah. So you forget how much yeah. they are needed, you know, to get through the day, but you don't want to do it and you're not physically up to it, you're not mentally up to it. So right. and when you're a good person like you are, good comes back to you. And it it should show what you've done for others because that is what normally happens to people who are kind yeah. and good. It comes back,
3: but it's life changing and it stays with you um, as much as you don't want it to define you, and as much as you know uh, it is. It becomes a part of your history, your permanent history, and you carry it with you. So the you know the best thing you can do is be a support to others and to try to encourage people like I do to get screenings and um, and to know that. Tomorrow's a better day,
2: and it usually is. You just have to get through it. Well, I know it's it's not easy to talk about, so thank you for being brave enough to talk about your journey because I do think that if more women and when more women like you share and connect with others, you... You're helping maybe save another person's life. You're encouraging them, letting them know they're not alone. So thank I've had you. a couple listeners, by
3: the way, who have reached out to me and who got mammograms because they heard me talk about it on the air. And I for did that reason alone. Yeah. Yeah. For that reason alone, it was worth it. And one of them was diagnosed. Wow. Um, and she's going to be OK. But she she got a cancer diagnosis. But she said I was going to blow it off. And then I heard you talking about it. And I went. So. For that one person, mm-hmm. it's been worth going public because going public isn't easy.
2: I know, and you you do it every day, so yeah. and it's that's not easy to do either, and it's not easy to relive it. So thank you for for sharing your story. We love you and we're so proud of you. Oh, thank you, honey. Well, you've been listening to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. Sue and I talk with celebrities and CEOs, but we're also interested in talking with your neighbors, your coworkers and friends who are quietly making an impact in their communities. You can go to magic1067.com and email us if you know someone that you'd like to recommend to be featured on the show. And you can follow us on Instagram at Sue.tab and at Kendra the Entertainer. We'd love to hear from you and be sure to join us every Sunday morning for another edition of Exceptional Women. Have a great day, everyone.